0: Amen, amen. All right, our last month to be all in. You ready? I hope that you are ready. This, uh, this December, the Connection Point family, as I said earlier, is going to use the wonderful tradition of Advent to help us stay focused on the living and true reason for this holiday season. We all know that that is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, he is the reason for this season, the only reason for this season. What what is Advent? Um, When we were, our pastors were getting together to talk about and pray about, well, Lord, where do you want us to go this December? The idea of of letting Advent kind of lead us through December, uh, the Lord brought that to our hearts. And one of the things that we ask uh, a lot of people is, have we ever done that before? And for the most part, people said, I don't know that we've ever celebrated Advent together as a church family, all right? So, So with that in mind, what is Advent? Because you may be like me, I didn't grow up in a church that celebrated Advent. And so when I was serving at a church where that was first in play, it was a learning experience for me, but it was something that God really used to kind of help keep me focused. What is Advent? The word Advent is derived from a Latin word, Adventus, and it means coming, coming. Okay? Most people know Advent today as a time of anticipation and expectation for the birth of Christ. However, Advent began as early as the fourth or fifth century as a way that, um, that, 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 that new Christians learned to pray and fast and learn how to be new believers in Jesus Christ. It was kind of like a new believers class, that, the way it started. Gradually, Advent developed into this season that stretched across the month of December. Now, Advent lasts the four Sundays leading up to Christmas. And the Advent season, um, is, um, is it not only symbolizes the waiting that the Old Testament believers did for the Messiah to come, but it also helps us to keep in mind that He is also coming again, amen? Each week we're going to light a candle on this wreath that will symbolize one of the, um, one of the ways that Jesus Christ comes to bring light into the darkness, light into this world. Each of the candles represent a different thing that either has come through Jesus or something that is to come because of jesus those things that we're going to be focusing on the first candle today is going to be the candle of hope next week we're going to be talking about the candle of peace the third week we're going to be talking about the candle of joy and then the fourth week we're going to be talking about the candle of love and then on christmas eve on both of our canvases, whichever service you choose to attend, we will be lighting the center candle. It is the Christ candle, reminding us that Jesus truly is the reason for our salvation, for our hope, for our peace, for our joy, for all things that we have for life and godliness in the Lord, all right? So why would we do this thing, all right? Why would we do Advent? Okay? A lot of things that we could do, but why would we do Advent? Well, here's four things that kind of helped me and that I was very encouraged by the first time I was able to celebrate Advent with my church family, the way we're going to do it. First of all, Advent, and by going all in on this, this opportunity, it helps us to keep a proper perspective about self I don't know if you, you realize yet, but Christmas can be a pretty selfish season, right? I mean, we, we, it, Advent is this opportunity to, to remember that it's not always about us. In fact, for the most part, it's never been about us. Advent is an opportunity to remember that God has always had this wonderful, grand plan for history that is so much larger than puny little me and puny little you, right? For all the emphasis that we place on asking questions like what do you want for Christmas, right? What do I want for, Christmas? what I want for Christmas and making our list and checking it twice. With all of that that's going on, we can get real distracted and make the Christmas season all about us and ours, right? But what Advent can do for us is to help us to take time to think about the gift of Jesus and the things that come with Him as He enters our life, right? And it can help us to live and truly believe that Jesus is the reason for the season, and instead of being focused on us, we can be focused on worshiping the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, like we're called to do, and loving our neighbor as ourself like we're called to do right now out in the foyer today and last week there was a little set of cards that were out there called rack cards okay and it's a little bundle of cards that that eat that that there's there's 31 of them out there and each day of the month is an opportunity for you to take the card that has that day like you'll go today today December 1st there will be a scripture from the Lord about who he is or who he wants to be in your life, and on the backside, there will be this random act of Christmas kindness that you and I are provoked to do. And think about it, if you would take that little pack, right, and each day read that scripture and each day try to do what that random act of Christmas kindness is challenging us to do, realize by the end of the month, we would be impacted by 31 different scriptures, and 30 at least 31 different people will be impacted by the way we lived our life this holiday season, right? So I want to encourage you, if you didn't get one last week, you can get them out in the foyer of the bookstore area over in our regular bookstore area in The Rock. It's a $3 donation. If you don't have $3, tell them I ain't got it. They'll still give you one, all right? But what we're hoping that this season does is help us not to be so, not to get sucked up in the selfishness, right? Let's don't get sucked up in the selfishness of Christmas. Advent can help us do that. You know what else I love about Advent? Advent helps us connect to our BC family of faith, right? Now we all know that history is a dividing line of Jesus, and, and for the most part the way people keep their calendars, there's everything that happened before Jesus' life, and then there's everything that happened after Jesus' life. We've got the BC and the AD. What I love about Advent is it helps me to connect with my faith family that was B.C. Advent gives us an opportunity to imagine the long-awaited coming of the Messiah that was promised thousands of years before his arrival in Bethlehem. See, in the Old Testament, people like Abraham believed in God and it was credited to them as righteousness, Right? You see, um, all those animals that were sacrificed, all the lambs that were sacrificed in worship, they were all a symbol of the Lamb of God, Jesus, who would someday actually take away the sins of the world. You see, this helps us to connect to those BC believers and help us to understand what they went through. We we understand them a little more because we're on this side of the cross. We understand how it all was going to make sense. They didn't. They just trusted and believed God in what he said and what they needed to do. And their faith was credited to them as righteousness, a righteousness that Jesus would pay in full on the cross someday. And Advent helps us to connect with those Old Testament brothers and sisters of faith. But it also helps us to connect with lots of New Testament brothers and sisters in faith as well too. Advent, um, a church, church tradition is not authoritative. Scripture is authoritative, right? But church tradition isn't. But even though church tradition is not authoritative, it doesn't mean that we should not, that we need to always remember what it means, is that we always need to remember we're not the first generation that's been trying to figure this thing out in Jesus Christ, right? We're in this world, but we're not supposed to be of this world. And there have been 2,000 years of believers in Jesus Christ on this side of the cross that have been trying to figure out ways, how do we do this thing in a way that helps us to be in the world but not of the world because Jesus is coming again but he hadn't come yet and we're stuck here until we're not, right? And so what what Advent helps us to do is connect with 2,000 years of Christian uh, of, of Christianity thinking about how, how can I be in the world but not of the world? What is something that I can do during this celebration, this, this holiday season, this Christmas, this celebration of the birth of Christ that actually helps me not to get selfish but helps me to get selfless, right? And so by by sharing Advent, we share with lots of brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ through the years, through the decades, through the generations and generations that have been trying to do the same thing. And we can follow in their footsteps of how to make Christmas a little less selfish. Finally, what I love about Advent is, is that it connects us to the Father who has always had a plan. In a world where thoughts and ideas and best practices change almost week to week, Advent reminds us that God, in the most important arena of life, has always had an unchanging plan to create a perfect universe that was tainted by selfish sin and redeem it and restore it perfectly to its original holy order. Advent reminds us that Jesus was always the plan for our salvation and our redemption. The plan showed up in a manger in Bethlehem. Advent helps us to remember that Jesus always will be the plan to come again and to permanently set everything once again into a perfect holy order when he comes again as the king of kings and the lord of lords right the bible says when he comes again the bible says when he comes again he's not coming as a little baby he's coming as a warrior man he's going to have pants and down the side it says king of kings and lord of lords right And he's not going to be coming as a little baby spitting up. He's going to be coming as a mighty warrior with a sword. And the Bible says that what's going to happen in that moment is that every knee, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what he's doing when he comes back. And that ought to excite us this Christmas season. That ought to do something in us a lot more than if we get that sweater that we want or that toy that we want or those chief tickets that we want, right? There's a bigger game going on than all that. And that's what Advent helps us to remember, right? And here's the beautiful part about it. If you and I... Will go ahead and bow that knee right now. Right now. And say, Jesus, you are my King of Kings now. You are my Lord of Lords now. Forgive me of my sins. Be the boss, the Lord of my life, right? Then, then you get to share in his glorious redemptive plan, not only now, but for forever, right? You are with him, you're on his team. And when he comes back, he's gonna be separating everything that, that has lined itself up against the glory of God and line up everything that has set itself up for the glory of God. And those of us, humanity, who have bent the knee and said, Lord, I want you to be my Savior, my Lord, my King of Kings, my Lord of Lords, on that day he comes back, we will be with his glorious, eternal, forever side of things. And there will be some people that the very first time that they ever bowed, they were like, I guess you were right. You are the king. Of kings. You are the Lord of lords. But because everything they lined up in their life is against the glory of God, then they get to share in that destiny. That's not Jesus came not to condemn the world, but that the world would be saved through him. You don't have to be on that side of the accounting when he comes again, right? Advent reminds us he's coming again. It ain't over yet, right? Amen. Amen. Now that's a great segue into what this first candle is all about, right? Because this first candle is all about hope. It is to remind us of the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. What, what did hope mean in the Old Testament? The longing for Messiah? If you have your Bible? Take it, turn to Psalm 42, we're about to go there, all right? Psalm 42, an Old Testament passage that helps us to see some things about the hope that our Old Testament brothers and sisters were looking for. Jay just sang a beautiful song, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. I have probably gotten to sing that song hundreds of times in my life. I've sang it in concert halls with choirs that I've been in. I've sang it on stage, I've sang it in the hymn book growing up. But let me ask you to sing it in a different place this morning or to think about it in a different place this morning to help you understand the meaning of it. Because the meaning of it was not sung. In the most wonderful time of the year with beautiful red and white and gleaming and Christmas or all that, close your eyes for a second. Just close your eyes and, and let me set a scene. See if you can put yourself there. You're a man or a woman. Hundreds of years before Christ came, you're sitting in the dirt looking at your village that is just been burned down by a bunch of godless people that don't give a rip about God. Maybe they took some of your sons and daughters into exile. You don't even know if you're going to see them again. Or maybe you're sitting there in the dirt because you went through the pantry and there's nothing there because there's been years of famine. Or plagues of locusts that have just come and worn out the land. Tough times. Hard times. Oh come, oh come. Emmanuel, and ransom, captive Israel. We are mourning in lowly exile here until the Son of God appears. Rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to the Oh Israel. A little bit different way of thinking about that song, isn't it? Does that help you connect a little bit to our Old Testament brothers and sisters? The moment that they went through where they did not know what they could hope in as far as their circumstances. All they could do was say, Come, Messiah, come and make things right. Come, you're our only hope. Psalm 42 says these words, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul is thirsting for God, the living God. Where can I go to even meet God? My tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, I, how I used to go with the multitude leading processions to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the threat festive throng. Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. But my soul is downcast. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of Jordan, the heights of Hermon, the mount of Mizar, the deep calls to deep, the roar of your waterfall, your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must, must I go on mourning, oppressed by this enemy? My bones are suffering mortal agony, as my foes taunt me saying all day long, where's your God? Where's your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you disturbed? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. Have you ever been there? Our Old Testament brothers and sisters were there. Here's a few things out of that passage that that really helped me to, to connect with my Old Testament brothers and sisters who were waiting for the coming of Messiah. First of all, I can connect with them because they were desperate for hope, just like I am. Fellowship had messed up their fellowship with God, right? Their circumstances had messed up their fellowship with God. Where can I go and meet God? My tears have been through day and night. I used to go to the house of God. I've been swept over. Have you forgotten me? I've been oppressed by the enemy." Man, These people were desperate for hope. I've been there. You? Right? And though, though but though things were messed up, what does the Bible say that, that that they would get to this point of, of listing things, and then all of a sudden in verse five it says, But why are you downcast on my soul? Put your hope in the Lord. And then you get to looking around and see more circumstances that were kind of goofy and crazy or whatever. And say, say, Why are you downcast on my soul? Put your hope in the Lord, right? Put your hope in the Lord. That's what our Old Testament brothers and sisters told themselves, because the Messiah is going to come and He's going to get it all right. I get that. I can feel that with them. But I want you to notice one other thing real quickly, and that is this, is is that in verse eight. And this is going to be a theme that comes out over and over and over about hope. In verse 8 it says, by day the Lord directs His love, at night His song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. One of the things that as I was studying this week about hope is that there is this massive correlation between hope and prayer. There's also a massive correlation between hopelessness and prayerlessness. And our Old Testament brothers and sisters were trying to help us to understand when you're down, pray to the God who is your hope. I can get that. What about our New Testament brothers and sisters? Over in Ephesians 1, verse 15 through 19, We read a passage there that that really helps us to understand that, that that, that we've talked about two comings, right? There was the coming of Jesus when he came in the manger to be born, to live and die for our sins, be risen and resurrected, and now he's sitting at the throne of God, right? And he is coming again, his second coming is going to be to set everything back in order. So the first coming saved us, the second coming Puts it all back in order, right? In Ephesians 1, you've got Paul who's trying to help hope, give hope to these Ephesian Christians who have been through some rough times. And here's what it says in Ephesians 1, starting with verse 15. This is why Paul says, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Verse 18, I pray that the perception of your mind might be enlightened so that you might know what is the hope of His calling, what are the glorious riches of His inheritance among the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power to those who believe according to the working of His vast strength. Man, quickly a few things that Paul is talking about that hope brings and all that, right? First of all, note all the praying. Paul says, "I'm praying for you. I pray this, I pray that." Hope is directly connected to praying. But also hope, he says, comes as we think about our inheritance. And hope comes as we think about his power. When we are in a hopeless situation in our physical earthly eyes, and we need to connect to the hope of heaven, Jesus Christ, and let him put some hope in us, restore some hope in us, Paul says, thinking about our inheritance and his power ignites the spark of hope. You see, because the, the, the hope, the, 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 the inheritance that he talks about relates to the access that we have. Because Jesus Christ came in that manger and he lived and he died and he rose again, he has given us access. You and I are sons and daughters of the Heavenly Father. Man. Man. Look what it says about the, as it relates to the second coming. He talks about power. Power is about change. God's power changes what is into what is immeasurably more. That's hope. For me, who has lived a sinful life, to think that the power of God could live in me and change me so I don't have to be the same guy that I have been, but I can be more like Jesus every day, that's hope. And to think about this nasty world that we live in, that I can't even drive home without having to shield my eyes from billboards. I can't even watch commercials when I'm watching football because of the things that it tries to lead me to do and be a part of those kind of things. I ain't even looking for it and it's hitting me in the face. But the power of God says, hope. If your hope is in the Lord, those things are going to change. Because when He comes again, there ain't gonna be no nasty billboards, right? There ain't gonna be no nasty commercials. He is gonna set everything in play according to His glorious holiness as He intended from the very beginning. So the question is. Do both of these comings, the, the, the first coming in the manger that gives us inheritance and the second coming that gives us power, how is that playing out in your life today? Is, that, is, is knowing those things, being, being convinced about those things bringing hope into your life today? Or, is it, or, or, or are you just wallowing in the circumstances. Life is trials and troubles. Sorry, welcome to adulting. Right? But through a relationship with Jesus, the Messiah, even in the midst of trials and troubles, there is hope. Hope is in us because Jesus is in us. We need to quit hoping for things and we need to hope in Christ. There's a difference between saying, Lord, I need this, and Lord, I need you. Lord, I hope this happens, Lord, I hope you happens, Right. right? Our inheritance gives us the opportunity to share in that kind of praying. Lord, because you're in me, hope happens because you happen. Power happens because you happen, right? That's what brings hope in the midst of living in a dark world. It ain't over yet, gang. It ain't over yet. So if your hope is kind of jacked up right now, okay? If your hope is messed up right now, if you need a reboot on hope, if you need the spark of hope to ignite in your life so that you can claim your inheritance as a son or daughter in Jesus Christ and let Jesus go to work to change things because of his great power, right? Here's three things to remember. First of all, remember that your hope directly correlates to your praying. The reason why some of us are hopeless is because we're prayerless. And Jesus did not give us an inheritance that was an isolation from him. He brought us into his glorious and wonderful fellows, into his God forever family, into a relationship with the Heavenly Father where we can call him Daddy, Abba, Father, right? Our hope directly correlates to our praying. And remember this about Prayer. The purpose of prayer is not to align God up with our game plan. Did you hear that? The purpose of prayer is not for you to tell God what He needs to do. It's not for me to tell God what He needs to do. The purpose of prayer is to align us up with Him and all the hope and power that He can bring. The more you pray through the scriptures and the more you're willing to pray like Jesus and say, Lord, not my will but thine be done, the more hope is going to start firing up in your life in every situation. There's two two ways that I want to challenge you as as, as individual church members and as a church family about how to ignite prayer so that hope will ignite for you and for us. First of all, starting today, and for the next 24 days, on our church website, you can be a part of an Advent daily devotion where every single morning you can wake up and read a scripture and have a time of prayer related to hope and faith and love and all the things that we're gonna be talking about that Jesus brings. I pray that every single day, this month, during this Advent season, you will connect with your daddy. And let him ignite your hope for whatever hopeless situation and circumstance you might think you're in. But the second thing that we are going to call our whole church to, and this is something that Glenn uh, Shepherd talked to us about about a month ago. It's something that our our, uh, lead team pastors have been thinking about, praying about. It's something that our transition team has said, man, we need to do this. And that is at least for the month of December, we're asking you to join us praying together. And this is gonna mean changing your schedule a little bit maybe. Because every Tuesday and Thursday, every Tuesday and Thursday, from 6 to 7 a.m. or from 4 to 5 p.m. Okay, we're going to open up the Lee Summit campus. We're going to open up this campus, just enter through the rock area, and there'll be signs to show you where we're going to be. And we'll just asking you, once a week, pick one of those times. And let's pray together. Jesus said some special things begin to happen when we're not just praying by ourselves, when we start praying together in unity, right? Tuesdays, Thursdays, either six to seven in the morning or uh, four to five in the evening. We'll send you an email out to our church and give you all the times, dates, all the gory details. But would you be willing to at least try to come one time? Not to pray for what you want, but to connect with the hope of heaven Jesus Christ and let him align us up to who he is and who he wants to be in our lives right prayer prayerful hopeful prayerless hopeless it correlates second reminder is this thirst for his presence because where he is hope is Let's quit hoping for stuff. Let's quit hoping for things. Let's quit hoping for the circumstances that we want. Let's hope for Jesus Christ and just follow him out of it. Whether it's your marriage, your family, our church, whatever it is, let's just pray for Jesus to show up and follow him out of it. Don't go after his hand, go after his face. That's where hope gets started. And then thirdly, act with faith in Jesus, not with feelings about your circumstances. If you're just bogged down in your circumstances, you're going to be bogged down in your praying and your living and everything. But if you will just get bogged down in your faith, the flames of hope will ignite And what God does in you will splash over into others. And you will begin to hope. Your family will begin to hope. Our church will begin to hope. Our community will begin to hope. Maybe our state, our nation, and our world. Why not us? For the glory of God alone, Jesus, the hope of Christmas. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you and we thank you so much for loving us first and loving us best. Lord, this morning, I know that there are some folks here that need somebody to pray for them that God would spark up their hope. So Lord, I pray that as we sing this next song, Christ our living hope. Not bringing hope is our hope. I pray that there will be a lot of people who come down here talking to you, talking to each other, asking somebody to be their prayer partner for hope so that this Christmas season it ain't about us as much as maybe it has been in the past, but it's about you. And that we could truly walk through this Christmas season loving you with all our heart, all our mind, all our strength, Lord, and loving the people around us even more than we love ourselves. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if you're a life group leader or a deacon or one of our counselors, man, I'd love for you to just kind of spread out around the Maybe around the front, down the sides over here, whatever else, because there may be somebody here today that, man, they walked into this room saying, my family situation is hopeless. My marriage is hopeless. My blank, whatever that is, is hopeless. And I need somebody to pray a spark of hope in my life, to pray that Jesus will show up in my life, in my family, in my church, in my whatever it is. These brothers and sisters would love to pray with you about that hopeless thing. And if today you need to ask Jesus Christ to be your King of Kings, and your Lord of Lords. They know how to help you pray that kind of prayer too, all right? So would you stand and would you sing, not so that others would hear you, but so that the singing you do that flows first from your heart overflows into what you need to do about being people of hope. God bless you.